Go on the five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to everything you need to know about music. Where I, Jason, am sitting with my friend Kevin. Say hello, Kevin. Hello, Jason. Hello, listeners. It's it's good to be back, man. It's, it's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good nice, to have you nice back. For me. How you been? I've been good. How about you? Very good. 2022. Great. Yeah. Here we go. A lot of twos. Okay. A lot of twos. And when it was like February 22nd of 22. It's like all twos. A lot of twos. It's going to be a lot of twos. We should, all right. We should record that day. That'd be awesome. Okay. Um, I wanted to do tonight's podcast as a mystery artist, okay. but I'm not going to do it. All right. The reason I say that is because I am um, concerned that people will read who this is and go, nah, I don't want to listen to that. Ooh. I think they'll pass it over going, eh, okay. Wait, so you were going to try to hide it? In I was the- Right. I was going to say all the accolades and all of the things this person had done and represented and kind of make it into just like a mystery so that people would have to maybe be kind of sucked into it. Right. But I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to tell you. So you're going to start right off with who it is. <laughs> yeah. No mystery. No. no. I don't have to fret about no. who it might be. No, not at all. Don't have to look dumb trying to, trying to guess. No. You're so going for it. I'm just, and then I'm going to tell you a little brief one minute Wikipedia style biography. Okay. Like a one paragraph little biography. All right. And then instead of making it a mystery, I'm going to nerd out like crazy Ooh. on right. the complexity of this guy and how underappreciated he is for it. I am doing Roy Orbison. Ooh, good call. We you did think? not do him in our 50s. Podcast. No, I know. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it with you. Excellent. Because it came Excellent. up okay. in my thinking, but because he was more representative of the 60s and had more hits in the 60s, right. yep. he's probably not a 50s yeah, guy. I think that's fair. Okay, so he... Was born Roy Kelton Orbison in Vernon, Texas. Mm-hmm. And when I think of Roy Orbison, I don't think of him as that quintessential California sound. I okay. don't think of him as the New York uh, or Philly sound that was in the 50s and 60s. Certainly not Motown Philly. No, right? He is something different. And he is that southern rockabilly country bluegrass kind of mixture of so many different things that I think makes him really unique. Are you going to be drawing any parallels to Elvis during this? One brief one. Got it. Okay. Yeah, one brief one. Um, his, his, his music's been described by people as operatic. Mm. And I think that that's I like that. fair at times because he has such the voice. a boisterous and bolstering voice. Yeah. He has this impassioned singing style, but he's this kind, quiet, sometimes dark, emotional kind of a guy. And in putting this together, I thought, what do I really think of him? And I think that he, to me, is a guy that's older than everyone else, even when he's young. Right. Does that make sense? He looked like... I didn't realize his age. Like when he yeah. passed, I didn't. I didn't realize he was as young as he was. Fifty-two. I thought he was a lot older. That's what I. Right. He was always older to me. Well, I. I always looked at him as the old guy in the group. But what actually he was in his early twenties when he did everything. Right. But his look, maybe it was his look or his demeanor. To me, he was always fifty-five. So, are you going to talk about the first time you ever heard him? And do you, and and if not, do you remember the first time you ever heard him? Um. Wow, that's a really good question. I don't. I wasn't going to talk about the first time. I don't recall the first time I ever heard of him. But my guess would be, probably it's related to Pretty Woman, the song. 
Okay. That would be my guess. And see, I knew that song, but I would say the first time that I really knew who he was was the song You Got It that oh. was on MTV in the 80s, yeah, remember? because that was his last song. The, it came out after he died, technically. Right. Yeah. Right. And if you listen to that song, which came out in the 80s, four, five, six, something, right? Right, late. Because oh, remember, he was no, in no, Travel Wilburys too, right? Yeah, which we'll get to. Yeah. We'll definitely get to that. Um, late, Like mid to late 80s, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, right? right? But I honestly thought that could have come out. It sounds like a 1965. Right. Absolutely. It sounds yeah. like everything else that he did. He, he followed the same, right. the same pattern this, exactly. that he did. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because his song structure, not just the lyrics that he wrote, but how he put the songs together, yep. I think is really misunderstood, or I shouldn't say misunderstood, not taken into account enough. So okay. I wanted to nerd out a little bit with you on that. I like it. Let's okay, cool. It. All right. So... Many of Orbison's songs projected this male vulnerability, which at the time was unheard of. Most of it was this defiant, strong, like manliness in songs. Right. His wasn't. He was always yearning and longing and sad. And there was this like passion to him, which I think is, was really cool. The other thing I wanted to talk about was his, his style. He literally would stand there in all black, mm-hmm. black sunglasses. Yep. And just stand motionless and just be in front of the microphone with no swag, no personality, right. and just sing, which I think is really kind of cool. If you can pull it off, it's almost standoffish, right. but really cool. Are you going to talk more about the sunglasses? Yeah, chance? I am. Okay. Do you know the story? Uh, I think so, but I would like you to. So he had, if you look at the first couple of albums, yep. he wore thick prescription glasses and then he's on tour and i believe he was on tour with the beatles at the time okay and he left those sunglasses in the plane and instead wore his ray-ban wayfarer prescription dark sunglasses okay and went to do a a concert and liked the look and he just stuck with it right ever since after that but that's the story that i know when i was a kid right okay we I thought he was blind, right? I mean, didn't you think he was blind? Everyone did. Like, because of that. Ray Charles, yes, right? They all that, had that look. And Stevie Wonder, they wore the sunglasses like that. Yep. Roy Orbison must be blind. Yeah. Now, right. he might have been legally blind because of how thick his glasses were, this right? This is true. Yeah. I mean, um, he could not function without them, but no, he was but not he, blind. He had eyesight. Correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he's signed to um, Sun Records. Sam Phillips finds him in 1956. And he didn't. He he was he had a few hits. He had a teen group that he did pretty well with, but he really got hired because of his songwriting. So he so wrote. He was, he was hired on his writer first, mainly on the writing. How old in fifty six was he? So like twenty. He would be twenty, literally 20. twenty. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So in the mid sixties, let, let me let me go through this real quick, and then we'll go back to some of these like more details. Okay. He co-wrote all of his top hits with another buddy, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But 22 of his singles got to the Billboard Top 40. 22? 22. Like all his all or his. one that he wrote no, for other people? his. 22 that, singles. 22. I, he was, again, agreed. You could have given me the over-under and <laughs> set it at like 11 and a half and I would have gone. I, I know. That's what I'm saying. It's probably right. I think this guy's underappreciated for so many things. 22. It was huge. It was okay. huge. In fact, when we get to it, in fact, I'm just going to say it now. He was the bigger billing. He actually opened, sorry, Elvis opened for him. In the beginning? As did the Beatles open for him. Yes. What? Yes, in the beginning. All right, so let me just get through this. Okay. After the mid-60s, he had a couple of personal tragedies, which we're going to get to. 
And then he went to this, not a recluse period, but really just didn't perform. Went through a decade of doing nothing. I mean, yeah. absolutely nothing. Till the Traveling Wilburys, which he did with like a super group. George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Jeff great, Lynn. Great un- band. Oh, great band. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. That first album is just fantastic. Dies of a Heart Attack, December 1988, at age 52. 52. So one month later, You Got It comes out. 52. 52. And again, I always thought he was 55. Like... For every time like, I look at him, like 1961, <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. He gets inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, Songwriters Hall of Fame 1989, Musicians Hall of Fame 2014, Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, Rolling Stone placed him 37th on the greatest artist of all time, Fair. 13 on the greatest singers mm. of all time. Wow. And Billboard magazine has a number 74 on the top 600 recording artists. Wow. So here, just wanted to say all that to then go, let's nerd out on this guy for a little bit. Okay, Okay, so he starts as a songwriter. In 1956, he breaks up with his uh, boy band. I don't want to call it a boy band. That's not right. His teen group called the Teen, Teen yeah, Teen Kings. Teen Kings, okay. Decides to try to make it as a solo artist. Like the Crickets? There's so many parallels to Buddy Holly. I can't wait to go through some of these things with you. So many. Okay, okay. so him and his then-girlfriend, Claudette Frady, who was only 16 at the time, they was, go... Was that allowed back then? <laughs> Texas. <laughs> Apparently. Texas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they okay. moved to Nashville. So oh, they go, they right. go to live, Tennessee. literally live, with Sam Phillips of Sun Records at his house. And they sleep in separate rooms. Wow. Okay? So at least they did that. At least okay. they slept in separate rooms. Okay. But he was this shy, awkward, kind of timid guy, and he meets Elvis Presley. And goes, that's it. I want to be a stage performer. After seeing Elvis, he goes, that's it. So he starts writing some songs, preferably for him. But what Sam would do is he would take them and then auction them to some of his other artists. Okay. Johnny Cash, some to Elvis, some to the Everly Brothers, etc. So the first one that he writes was Claudette. And the Everly Brothers recorded it. Now, listen. I got a brand new baby and I feel so good. She loves me even better than This I was the B-side to All I Have to Do is Dream. It comes out in 1958. So, wait, this is the Mount Rushmore famous yes. for you, 1950s yes. Everly Brothers. Correct. They make them Rushmore. Yes, they absolutely do. But this is Roy's version, okay, which came out. He, he recorded it some years later by himself. But just listen to his version and his voice. That's how, I, how I want to start. Well, I got a brand new baby and I feel so good. She loves me even better than I thought she would. I'm on my way to her house and I'm blown out of breath. When I see her tonight, I'm going to squeeze her to death. Lord, right, just want to give you a taste of it. I know you know what it sounds he, like, but his he, voice is so special. It's so distinct. So right? distinct. So distinct. Um, it's like our, our very first podcast you did Michael McDonald, right? Yeah. yeah. Distinct voice. Yeah. Roy Orbison, same thing. Yeah. You, anytime you hear that, you know exactly who that is. I said this in a podcast when we did the Latin artist Hector Laveau. Oh, I did. And it, I, I realized I had this moment where I realized that I think there's something about me mm-hmm. that I really like. As I'm doing these, I'm learning more about myself and the things that I like. Sure. I think. I really like a unique 
voice. Yeah. That's important to me. Yeah. Not classically good. Right. Not like that's vocally correct. Right. Almost a bit off. Almost like there's pain in it or there's like too, he's trying too hard or right. there's something off in the timber of like there's something special to it that that draws me in even more. Like you did Eric Burden yeah. one time, right? Yes. Same thing. Same yeah. exact thing. Yeah, yeah. Even in rap with the notorious BIG, he has this dark, deep, lispy, like odd you voice, just, and I love it. You just lost me. No, <laughs> okay, all right. I'll bring you back. <laughs> I promise to bring you back. All right. So he then sees that he's not really getting from Sam and Sun Records what he deserves, especially on his royalties and some other things. So he decides to go and work for a company called A Cuff Rose which is this songwriting firm. What he does is he would actually spend the day writing a song, then playing the song, singing the song, and making like a demo tape. Okay. And then he would go over to certain artists' homes or their recording studio and present it to them. Mm. And they would listen to it and basically go, uh, okay, we'll take it, or no, that's not us. It's like the Shark Tank of... Uh, Kinda, <laughs> Yeah. And you basically, ha- and so he would have to sing in the style of, you know, Bobby Darren or okay. whoever he was presenting to, he'd kind of make his voice and cut, kind of, but it, it never really worked. It never really right. came through because his voice is so unique and so special that, yeah, he wrote some good songs, but everyone was like, I can't sing that. That doesn't sound like me. Right. So he worked for a company that did that. And in doing so, he meets this guy who also worked there called Joe Melson. And he and Joe go through this amazing period, basically from like 60, 59, 60, to about 66, and they just write hit after hit after hit after hit and have Roy sing it. Okay. And it's almost this like Elton John and B- Bernie Taupin. Bernie Taupin. Yeah, they, yeah. they just have this, this um, ability. And so the first song, so my song number one for you is... This. This is their first hit. This is Only the Lonely, Uh, which they pitched to Elvis and the Everly Brothers, and they turned them down, so they said, screw it, we're just going to record it ourselves. And he comes out with this and killed it, got a number one. Only the Lonely. Now, how how do you pass that up? I know. Well, it's a great song, but, but, but because of the way because of the way he sings, the way he if sang. anyone else did this, it's not the same. It wouldn't be the same. Not the same yeah. song, right? So they kind of did it backwards. Their production, their style was what they call bottom up instead of top down. So meaning, what they would do is instead of starting with the drums and the bass and kind of the backbone, the rhythm, right? They would actually start with the harmonies and the and the those close mic'd vocals, and then kind of build any sort of percussion and stuff around that. So it's very, very vocal-centered. So if you listen, I'll play it one more time from the beginning. Listen to how important those harmonies, those close mic vocals are in the beginning. I mean, it's almost like the main instrument in yeah. a way, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's panned far left. Like, yep. it's, 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 it's where they specifically want something to be. It's really purposefully done, everything. And then when he comes in, only the lonely. And there's this kind of counterpoint back and forth between them. But what really came from this 
was his ability to hit his vocal ranges. So he was able to do three octaves in wow. singing. Usually a singer can do about one and a half octaves. Right. That's really where people are comfortable. That's kind of where they live. He could do three. He three. There's only five lights to humanly possible. Wow. Yeah. So for uh, three is enormous. And a, a guy like this singing these kinds of songs. So when he gets to the end of this song, you hear a little bit of that. And then people yeah. go, what? No Listen to this. Twenty. Twenty looks like twenty going on fifty-two. Exactly. That's exactly right. All right. So that's only the lonely. That's his first song, and they they absolutely kill it. They have a huge hit with that. Are you a Chris Isaac fan by any chance? You know Chris I, Isaac. I do know who he is. The guy that the did Wicked, Wicked Game. Game. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'm a fan. He has an album called The Baja Sessions. Uh, one of my favorites. Late. 90s, he did a cover of Only the Lonely. Obviously, you can't do the justice that, that Orbison did, but there's definitely a little, there's a there's little some, vocal there's similarity. similarity there, right? that, that depth. Yeah. Yeah that, yeah, yeah, that passion, that darkness. Yeah, I'll nice. give you that. That's a great song. So, this is where I'm going to get really nerdy with you. Like, really. Wait, you haven't got nerdy no, already? No, that was like, <laughs> that was baby stuff. All right. All right. All right. So, we're going to talk about song structure. Okay. Okay. Most of the songs at that time followed one of two patterns. Late 50s, early 60s, you were in one of two camps. Okay. You were either in the 12 bar blues, uh, okay, 12 bar the blues, one, four, five. Yep. And you had some variation thereof. Right. Or you had the one, six, four, five. Okay. The one, six, four, five is. You get the minor. Yeah, you got the minor. Always the minor six. Now, if you follow that, you either call it like the doo wop progression. Or the fifties progression, but I want wait I, the one six four the one, five six, four, was five. considered a yeah. do up progression. Correct. Okay. So, for example, if you did, uh, let me give you a couple. Yeah. There's the one six four five. Right. That's so you can see you hear those changes. Is the exact same as one six four. Five. Right, so they're all the same style of song. Yeah. Same thing. All one, six, four, five. Same thing with this song. One, six minor, four to the five. There's nothing wrong with it. It's comfortable. Right. It's it's a great progression. It is a great progression. And, but everyone was making songs like that. I mean, this is the last one I'll give you. Here. One. Six. James Chandler. Yeah. Four. Five. And I can go on and on and on, yeah. obviously, okay? He doesn't do this. Now, he does this a bit, okay, in the beginning stages. So, for example, with his biggest hit, which is Pretty Woman, which I feel obligated to play... Let's say we're in the key of A, which he is. This is a standard one, six, four, five. Okay? But you've got a really cool opening with that guitar riff, yep. which is almost Richie Valens like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? So here's your pretty woman. Here's your one to the six minor. Down the street, pretty woman. Back to the one. The kind I like to meet. Six minor. There's your four. And then you're up to your five. However, in the structure of this song, if you go to the bridge. This to me is where his. Where's this? That's the four minor to the seven. 
to the three, to the one minor. Whoa. Where is he going? Right. Think about this. So again, four minor, not four major. Right. To the seven, that's G. C, which is three. Now he's going to the circle of fifths. And watch, to bring it back, he has to bring it to the A major. There's the one to the six minor. Right. Then the four and back. then the five. In order to bring it back, nobody's doing that. So the bridge, he's just going. He is going off script. He's, yeah, absolutely off script. Totally off script. But when you hear that, you don't hear it any differently. It's right. not like, whoa, wait, what? Right. It just sounds, oh, wow. I would have never known. Had you that fits. He's totally somewhere else. This yeah. is new territory right. now. And I think that that's underappreciated. So I wanted to go through a couple of little things like that. So for example, all right, so we did, we did only the lonely, right? Yes. Let's say he's an F. There's the one. Instead of going to the six, that's the two minor. Okay. Then the four, then the five. Okay. So not one, six, four, five, one, two, two four, four, five. Think about the, just that small difference right. makes the song different. So listen. Only the lonely. Hear that? Yeah. That's different. Yeah. And it's subtle. It's not offensive. It's not like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. what is he doing? But it's just different enough. Now, is that all him or was that it's the all Nelson him. guy? Both of them. Both of them. Kinda. He's more of the vo- of the arranger, though. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So it's mostly him. Tell me if you know this one. This is called Running Scared. So let's say he's an A. There's your one. Up to the two minor. Okay. Three minor. He's walking it up. Then to the five. Oh. Back to the one. So one, two, three, yeah. five. Yeah. And listen to the build. Listen to the orchestration. Now, he was just him and his guitar. Now they bring in more instruments. Yeah. Starts to just build and build and build. And the song is gorgeous. It's actually about he doesn't he doesn't want to walk around with this girl because he's afraid that the, her, her ex will see them and she'll pick the guy instead of him. Oh, so he's not worried because she's 16 and that's right now, going no, to yes, 48 he should, states? He should be, though. Listen to the build, though. Run and you love him so. Look, look, there's strings, there's yeah. cellos. It's grand sounding. Right? This isn't like oh, what I played you before. This is not doo-wop. Right. This is not the 50s stuff. Right. They did this. They had a whole string orchestra in the studio, and they tried to put this together. They on it took them a couple of takes to get it right. Because remember, they are they're all in the studio together doing this. Right. So they had to put him behind like these coat racks and dampen his sound so that the orchestra wouldn't bleed into his microphone. And he has to hit this three octave higher. A natural to bring the song all the way back to the beginning to where it was to where it was wow. like he just That's he's great. just crazy yeah. just absolutely crazy all right 
Last one, I promise you this will be it. All right. This is my favorite Roy Orbison song. Okay. By far. I don't know if... I know you'll know it, but I don't know if you'll know it the way I really want you to know it. I didn't know the last one. You didn't know Running Scared? Did not know that. Okay. All right. Do you know this song? A candy-colored clown they call the Sandman. This is called In Dreams. to my room every night. Just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper, go to sleep. Everything you know this one is all right. Not yet. I close my eyes, then I drift away into the magic. It's okay if you don't. I don't. No. All right. We're gonna vaguely reminisce. Okay, but we gotta no. go through this. Instead of doing a one six four five. Okay. In the opener, he does a one six two five which is now common because in a one, and when we say one, four, five or one, six, four, just for people that don't know, we're literally saying whatever key that song is in, if we're going to pick the key of a, or in this case, we'll pick the key of C cause that's mm-hmm. what this song is in. Okay. The one is the C, right? Two would be D three would be E, et cetera. As we go up the alphabet, two would be D minor and the three would be E minor. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yep. Because the the majors, one so is major, five. two and three are minor, four and five are, are major, etc. So the one, six, four, five is special because the one is your home, is your tonic. That's your right. root. That's, that's where we start. You can always go back. You can always right. go back. Yeah. yeah. So the one in this case is C. The six, no matter what key you're in, is always the relative minor. The relative minor, yeah. Of the one. So... If we're playing a one, six, four, five, we're playing C, then the A minor mm-hmm. is the six. That's the relative minor. They're so closely related. If, and I know you play guitar, so you know how close the C is to the A minor. Yep. But even in tonality, in, in when you play your pentatonic scales, they're the same scale because it's the same, it's the same structure. Same they're note. all the same notes. Mm-hmm. They're the relative minor. Yep. One's major, one's minor. Now, the four, one, six, four, five, the four note would be F. But he doesn't do that. He plays one, six, two, five. The two is always the relative minor of the four. Right. So music has this pattern. And he figured it out. <laughs> he got it. Okay. I don't know if he was great in math. I don't know if he just had like so much experience. But he does this all the time. He just plays around with something enough to make it where, oh, it's a little bit different. I see what he did there. He took what would have normally been a major and made it a minor, but so closely related that it's like, wow, that's beautiful. There's some darkness. Right. There's some sadness to the tonality now because it's not major. Which is what the minor always kind of does. Always it, minor it, always it does that exactly, and that leads to his personality, his persona. Right. So this song is structured in the sense that has every time where you would think, well, we're going to go back to a major now. He'll play the relative minor. Mm. Also, what they did with this song in Dreams, to be a super nerd, is you play music, so you know verse, verse, chorus, verse. Yep. Usually that's how songs would go. Yeah. When you play bridge. The, yeah, maybe a bridge, right? Or an outro, intro. But when you play the verse, verse one is gonna have, let's say, the same chords as yeah. verse two. Yeah. So if I'm gonna do one, six, four, five, in verse one, I'm gonna do the same thing in verse two. Maybe my chorus is different. But some, sometimes it's the same. Every p- 
piece of this particular song is unlike the last. Really? There's no similarities. So each one, if you were to say, well, this is an A, A, B, A structure, right. this would be A, B, C, D, E, F. There's nothing similar about the last eight bars to the upcoming eight bars. But it's all in the same key. It's all in right? the same key. And but every single time they change from verse to verse or verse to bridge or verse to chorus, he's changing the progression. He's changing the progression. And wow. yet, if I didn't tell you that, I probably wouldn't you would notice. have never picked it up. Right. That's how simple the changes are. That's how genius the structure is. So replacing the four major with the two, with the which two, is which is minor. the four's relative minor, always is enough to get, again give it that little bit of somberness, but Correct. not totally blow the whole thing. Wide so when open. I play it again for you, this okay. first intro section, listen to the one six two five okay. instead of the one six four five. Got it. A candy-colored clown they call a Sandman tiptoes to my room every night. You wouldn't even hear it. Just no. But when you, I mean, unless you're listening yeah, for it, right? Right. When you tell me, yes, yep. then I can hear it. Everything now, is all right. if I played that intro for you, you'd say, okay, the next thing we're going to do is going to sound exactly like that. No. Again, right. Now we're going to go to something totally different. We're going to go to a one, two minor, uh-huh. five. Just one, two, five. I close my eyes. Then I drift. There's your two minor. Into the magic night, I softly say a silent prayer. Now, I got, I got to stop it here. We got to talk about one more thing. Okay. His particular vocal style. Uh-huh. His tessiatura. Okay. Oh, yeah. I don't know that word. Big what? word. Tessiatura, or tessiatura, depending on how you pronounce it, is the vocal comfortable range of a person okay some people say it's you take your highest note yep. and your lowest note and take the mode like what's in the middle what's, what's right in the middle that's your sweet spot okay okay my tessitura would be this is where i'm talking like this is where i'm comfortable right. if i'm gonna sing a song this is where i'm gonna probably sound like this is my comfortable range Roy Orbison does not have a range. Well, he's his, got, he has three octaves. Three so. octaves, but that's his vocal range. Right. I mean, his tessitura, where he can be comfortably, right. is in that entire range. He's got that There's whole... no stretching. To find where your head voice is versus your, your body voice, there's a difference. Like if you went from, ah, all the way down, there's a break somewhere right. between where your head, you're singing from your head and you're singing from your body. Mm-hmm. In the middle is your tessitura. Okay. Okay. I'm going to do it one more time. I want you to think how low he starts, okay? okay? And then where we are clown they call by the end of the song. Tiptoes to my room his tone, col- the coloring maybe is a Just better way to say it. And to so he's here. Low I could never be. That is low. Even, even here now in verse technically two, but we'll call it one. I close my eyes. Think of how low he is. Did I have to be a Starts low, and then he comes back up. Oh, by the way, we're changing now the chord progression. We're in the one to the five. Uh-huh. 
and to the four. Now we're just doing a one, five, four. No minor. No minors. So now he's up here. Right in his middle range. Not necessarily as Tessa Toro. Right. No. We keep building and building. Listen to this. The one and higher is four minor, and we're all the way up now to the right. all the way up here. Back to the one. I can't help it. Two minor. If I wow, it's just insane. Yeah. All right, one more time. Wait, listen. Up to the orchestra he's, he's really high And where does he go? He said we're going to go back down No, go higher He's higher than his own harmony But he's not straining No, he's not He's, he's comfortable Now Where can we go? We're going to go even higher now Watch Very cool. <laughs> Is that nerdy enough for you? Yeah, but you know what? I mean, you you go over these things, and and it, I could I could have listened to that song and never really grasped, you know, what what he did. That's to what, have you lay that that out. It's like I think that people you know, would hear that on amazing. the radio and go, "Yeah, it's Roy Robertson. Right. It's a nice song. It's good, it's a good song." But then how complex and how much goes into that? Where are we going to start? What instruments are we going to use? How are we going to build it? Right. Think of where he started. This the low, just him and the him and the guitar speaking really low. Then he builds it a little bit. Every one, like I said, every one of those sections is a different progression, right. but still in the same root, but just a different progression wow. every time. Did he ever do interviews or write a book or anything like that that kind of explained his no. thinking and what mm -mm. and how he? He was very quiet. He was extremely shy. Yeah. Had massive stage fright. Half the reason he wore those sunglasses because it made him feel a little more comfortable. Right. To kind of be behind that he something. Was, he was behind. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah, it was. Uh, that to me is a masterpiece of recording, only because it's not in your face complex. There are some times right. where you hear a song and you're like, "Wow, that's really tough." Like, I have to dig through that. Like Steely Dan. Like Steely Blues, Dan. <laughs> right? Where you know you can hear that complexity. You can hear it. This this was hidden. I mean, hidden if you're not looking for it. But right. when, you, when you explained it like you did, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, There's so much That's there. what he's doing. So in 1963, April, that song comes out. Okay. And it's huge. He has a bunch of hits in the early 60s and is asked to replace Dwayne Eddy on a tour with the Beatles. Okay. So he arrives in Britain and realizes that he's not the main guy. Like okay. these Beatles are like the headliners right. and he's kind of annoyed. And so he goes, wait, what is a Beatle? <sighs> and so Lennon taps him on the shoulder and goes, I am. <laughs> and he goes, okay. He goes, um, would you mind if I go on first? And they're like, yeah, you, you, you can go on first. And literally the Beatles were dumbfounded. He did 14 encores. 
14 encores. They had to hold him back. Like, no more. Wow. Like, the crowd was nuts. He was huge. He might have been bigger there than he was here. In the UK. Because when British Invasion came, yeah. he kind of went over there and was huge and, there. Wow. And maybe, I don't want to say bigger there. That's not fair. But huge. He was right. huge there. So finally, they actually kind of like learned to get along and they toured together and him and George Harrison actually became like really close buddies and and ended up in traveling Wilbur. And there you go. Exactly right. Um, couple of things. Claudette. Yep. Who he wrote the song Claudette about him. They got a divorce in 1964 because he was out on the road and she was cheating on him at, at, 19 or how? No, no, actually, no she was, was a little like older. That was 56. Yeah. Okay. She was a little older. So they built this house, I think, in Tennessee. Uh-huh. And she ended up like having relations with the home builder guy. The home builder? The home builder guy, yeah. Not, uh, not, not the session musicians or anything like that. No, so she, no. she, she, <laughs> Correct. She tried to keep it outside of where, where Roy spent most of his time, at least. Okay. He loved her so much, he took her back 10 months later. Dude. Okay. Yep. Um, they loved motorcycles. The reason they loved motorcycles is because Elvis exposed them to motorcycles. Okay. In 1966, him and Claudette were riding home in Bristol, Tennessee, and she ended up hitting a door of a pickup truck and died instantly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When was that? The 66? 1966. Ooh. 1968, Orbison's two eldest sons, when he was away in Britain, burned the house down, and they both died. This guy was riddled with tragedy oh. in the late 60s and goes away for, like I said earlier, about a decade okay. doing nothing. Like right. just didn't perform, didn't do anything. You lost your wife and you lost he at was, least two kids. How many kids did he have He total? was a real quiet gentleman about it. Like, you know, right. he didn't do anything. You know, you, you didn't go off the rails, so to speak, but he was really, really affected by it. He Obviously, was, of course he was. He wasn't going to Twitter asking for, for sympathy no. or anything like <laughs> no, that. no. No, so he basically a whole decade goes by, and it wasn't until Bruce Springsteen okay. that would finish his shows in the late seventies with Roy Orbison songs. Really, when he would do encores, like you want me to come back, then I'm doing Roy. He's Orbison doing Roy songs. Orbison because he was such a huge fan. And then Linda Ronstadt did his song called "Blue Bayou." Yep, yep. And it was and and that was a huge hit. And so, uh, when he got inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. Bruce Springsteen gave the speech and said, I always wanted to record with words like Bob Dylan, with make, make a sound like Phil Spector, but most of all, I wanted to sing like Roy like Orbison. Roy Orbison. Yeah. And Very so nice. a few months after um, he, was, he did that, uh, he did, I don't know if you've ever seen this, he did Roy Orbison and Friends, A Black and White Night. I think I've... I'm going to tell you what. I think I've seen that. It's... If you haven't seen it in a while, yeah, but it it's is probably been a long time, insanely yeah. good. Right. He gets up there with his glasses. Yep. It's black and, and white. It's all black he's and got, white. And he plays song after song he's after all song. Black, right? He's in all black, He's in all black. Yeah. He looks like Johnny Cash. Yeah. And behind him is Bruce Springsteen, T-Bone Burnett, Jackson Brown, Elvis Costello, Tom Waits, Bonnie Ray, Like, a ton of people. Right. It was Elvis Presley's old backing band. Okay. He's got a whole string section... All the string section people are wearing his black sunglasses. It's hilarious. And every song sounds exactly like the record. I mean, you could you could A B it and it sounds identical. And wasn't I think the pretty woman I think they did Pretty Woman and that was like on MTV, right? Because I remember Spring Scene being in that. And probably Bonnie Raitt too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. And 
There's no showmanship. Right. There's no, hey, how you doing? Thanks for nothing. Right. He it just is, went up there and played. He goes up there. He plays his songs. Thank you. Goodbye. That's it. And it's phenomenal. So, all right. Here's I'm going to close because I've gone too far and I've nerded out too much. I'm going to play for you a bonus song. Okay. But I'm going to do it in a bonus. weird way. Yeah. One bonus song. And I want to show you what I think the difference of what a Roy Orbison song sounds like in comparison to other, uh, other songs. Okay. There's a song that came out in 1957 by Elvis called Mean Woman Blues. Okay. I got a woman here, she you probably got heard me. it. Yep. Big hit for Elvis. I got a woman here, this, she this is Elvis. Did Elvis write it? No, he didn't. Absolutely did not. <laughs> of course he did. All right. 1959, Jerry Lee Lewis comes okay. out with the same song. Quintessential Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got a woman mean as she can be. Just more of a shuffle, the, right? Yeah, way more up tempo. Yep. That, that voice, though, kills me. Well, I ain't bragging. It's understood. But Roy's version is this. Well, I got a woman mean as she can be. I mean, the power, the passion, the, just everything about it. It's more soulful, right? She got a roomy lips, she got shapely hips, yeah. Boy, she makes a That's great. Isn't that great? Yeah. So what do you think? I learned a lot about Roy. Okay, cool. Yeah, I Good. mean... There, I know you liked him. There, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I Everybody did. likes him. He's um, not. He's not unlikable. But but didn't realize the depth. Just how talented he was. He's pretty cool. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Awesome. Right. Well, with that, I will say thank you so much, and we'll thank catch you. you next time. <laughs>